The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Hello and welcome to the Sunday edition of The Big Red Bench. It is Sarah McKenzie Foley here with you until 7pm. I'll be bringing you a rundown of all the day's sporting action and I've also got a long-awaited Andrew Conway interview as well as a cracker of a conversation with the very first female admiral of the Royal Cork Yacht Club. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can find us on X. We are at Big Red Bench and you can also send me a message on WhatsApp at 0868104106. And while you're doing that, let's get into it, shall we? Starting off with Gaelic Games where the Cork Hurlers faced Clare in Cusack Park this afternoon in the first round of their Allianz Hurling League campaign. It was a high scoring game but the Rebels were unable to dominate the score sheet and the final result was Clare 125 to Cork 219. Meanwhile the Cork footballers also suffered a loss in their Allianz Football League campaign after travelling to RD to face Louth this afternoon. The final score in that game was Louth 2-9 to Cork 13 points. To the Premier League now where there were four games down for decision today. Chelsea suffered a 2-4 loss at home to Wolves. Nigel Bidmead has the full-time report from Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 4. This was Chelsea's first defeat at home since late October and they were well beaten by Wolves for whom Matthias Cunha scored a hat-trick. Chelsea took the lead on 19 through Cole Palmer but less than three minutes later Cunha equalised with a deflected shot. Just before the break Chelsea defender Axel Dezassi put through his own net. On 63 Cunha scored his second an emphatic finish to a breakaway and when he was brought down in the area on 82 he picked himself up and sent the keeper the wrong way. Thiago Silva reduced the deficit with a header from a corner late on, but by then, a lot of Chelsea fans had seen enough. Chelsea 2, Wolves 4. It finished one all between Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest in their game. Alan Seabrook has the full-time report from the Vitality Stadium. So it's finished, Bournemouth 1, Forest 1, a point apiece then for Bournemouth and Forest that could arguably be of more use in the greater scheme of things to the Cherries who took the lead on just five minutes when Clivert touched home from close range following a left-sided corner kick. However, despite the early joy, Bournemouth ended the game with 10 men after Philip Billing, who'd come on a substitute, was given a straight red for a foul on Callum Hudson-Odoi, that on 84 minutes. Sandwiched in between Hudson-Odoi had levelled up for Forrest that from the edge of the penalty area a real fizzer from the edge of the box Bournemouth then continued to rest easy in mid-table whilst Forrest well they're left to look over their shoulder it finished Bournemouth 1 Forrest 1 Elsewhere Manchester United ran out 3-0 victories against West Ham moving them up to 6th place in the Premier League table Peter Smith has the full term report from Old Trafford Manchester United 3, West Ham 0. Clinical finishing has proved the difference between the teams. West Ham created more, but were, but were wasteful, all thwarted by United keeper Onana. Rasmus Hoyland scored and showed his attacking prowess, firing United ahead in the first half of the clinical effort from just outside the box. Alejandro Garnacho doubled United's advantage after the break with a left-footed angle strike from a crossfield pass from Fernandez, And then Garnacho scored his second to round off the score this time a low right foot of finish after an assist from McTominay. Manchester United 3, West Ham 0. The final game of the day sees table toppers Liverpool take on third place Arsenal. That match is just past the 70 minute mark now and the latest score is 2-1 in Arsenal's favour. I'll be sure to get you a full time result from the Emirates before we finish up this evening. In racing now, finally, Stateman has justified the favourites tag to take the Chanel Pharma Irish Champion Hurdle at the Dublin Racing Festival this afternoon. Paul Townsend led the Willie Mullins Mount to victory at Leopardstown. It was one of five winners on the day for the Carlo trainer, with El Fabiolo taking the Ladbrokes Dublin chase and Ballyburn coming home first in the novice hurdle. Finally, we do want to say a huge congratulations from everyone here at the Big Red Bench to Balafihan's own Aideen Mullins, who has won a silver medal at the WC World Muay Thai Championships in Thailand. We had Aideen in studio for a chat back in October of last year, and you can listen back to that interview on the Big Red Bench podcast. 
the link is up on our X page now and you can find that at Big Red Bench. Okay, let's start with some post-match reaction and analysis from the Cork Hurlers loss to Clare this afternoon. A reminder of the final score of that game, it was Clare 125 to Cork 219. And Tommy Rooney from Off the Ball has your full-time report. It is full time here in Cusey Park and Ennis and Clare have gotten their Division 1A campaign of the National Hurling League off to the perfect start with a three point win against Cork on a scoreline of 125 to 219. Clare were the better team for much of this game but they just couldn't shake Cork off. Despite being six points down at one stage in the first half, Cork playing against the breeze showed that their eye for goal was in. Patrick Horgan buried their first before the impressive Tommy O'Connell scored his which left just a point between the sides at the break. Clare dominated the start of the second half as they did the first with Mark Rogers scoring four frees and David Reedy getting his second point before Cork even got on the board. But Patrick Horgan's presence, his free taking, kept his side in touch and by the 63rd minute, Conor Lahan's second point of the day left just two points between the sides. Then came the key moment in this game. David Fitzgerald picked out Shane Mori with a pass from the wing and the six-mile bridge man made no mistake as he buried the ball past Patrick Collins. Both sides traded some good scores after that, but Clare never let Cork get any closer. Mark Rogers was brilliant throughout. He finished the day with 13 points, including two from play and a number of frees he won himself. It's Kilkenny up next for Cork on Saturday night, whilst Clare are away to Waterford. Full-time scoring Cusick Park, Clare 125, Cork 219. Tommy also spoke to Cork boss Pat Ryan to get his thoughts after the game. Pat Ryan, hard luck, a three-point defeat to Clare today in Cusick Park in Ennis. Is there room this year to take the positives from performances like that? Ah, uh, yeah, look, look, sure, look, that's what, that's what the league is about. Look, obviously disappointing, we'll always be disappointed we don't get a result. Um, but from our point of view, look, there was a lot of good stuff there, especially in the first half. Um, we put ourselves in a great position to win the game. Um, we just unfortunately, look, we, we probably just probably didn't play the first 16, 17 minutes of the second half and um, gave them too much of a lead and left it, just just probably didn't go after the game enough. And uh, look, put ourselves in a good position with only, with only um, seven minutes to go we're two points down and we have great momentum and in fairness look they just got in for a quick goal and I think that just killed the game in the end you know yeah you put yourself in a good position a couple of times in that game I think Clare went six up at one stage in the first half but you came right back into it Horgan and, and uh, O'Connell with two brilliant goals again point down at half time what, what was it with the start of the second half because you had the wind with you what, what would you be disappointed I looked up just disappointed that we didn't move the ball quick enough ourselves and uh, you know break the line a couple of times and stuff that we're trying to do but look it, it was um, from our point of view look it's, it, it's, it's about work rate on that side we didn't turn the ball over enough we didn't put them under pressure probably gave a couple of easy frees away as well but look look, and look this is the first league game in whatever it is the 4th of February like you know we're constantly building here now so we'll move on to Kilkenny next Saturday night we get back training this week and uh, take the positives what the game was but obviously there was plenty of areas to work on and um, it's our job now to get those right I think it was seven players that you had that would have started that All-Ireland under 20 win uh, final in 2020 like it, it's, it's a group now it's a new group in Cork isn't it it's really coming through and starting to assert themselves uh, it is look look, look, look they're building, bringing great, great competition to the squad but look at the same time look look we need our experienced fellas we had a lot of them training this morning that we'll, we'll add to our group again and give more experience but that was a great learning curve for some of the fellas making their debut today or in their second year start you know so look no better place than Ennis to come that's um, a tough place to go to, you know? Yeah, you've got Kilkenny up next. Uh, is the conversation around the jeopardy in the leagues this year being over-egged, or are managers and management teams and Division 1 counties, are, they, are, you, are you feeling the pressure this year to leave? Uh, no, not really. Look, look. Obviously, we'd all like to be in the seven, seven-team group next year. But look, that's uh, look, look. That'll take care of itself. Look, look. We're obviously building for, you know. Look, if you, as everything happens, once the league is over, championship is what counts, and nobody remembers what happened in the league. You know. So look, we're we're building here constantly for Ward from the first round and then Clare kind of um, seven days afterwards against them. You know. So yeah. that's that's where our focus is constantly on. Patrick Horgan in his 17th season uh, today for Cork, he scored one four, top scored again, or maybe it was one six actually towards the end. Uh, he really kept you in touch throughout the game, and then some of the younger players started adding points later on. Ah, it is, yeah. Look, Patrick, look, is, look, is, look, he's not, hasn't played many games all year with us, so look, so it's, 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 um, it's, um, it's look, look, he's a huge player for us, huge leader off the field, huge leader on the field for us. Uh, but look, 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 we'll just keep in sharp and stuff like that, you know. Pat, thanks, and best of luck next week. Okay, cheers, thank you. We are going to stick with Gaelic Games because tomorrow might be a bank holiday for the rest of us, but there is no rest for the Cork Ladies football team because they are travelling to Tralee to face their old rivals, Kerry. And I had a chance earlier today to speak to the Big Red Benches, Derm McCarthy, to preview the game. I am joined on the line now by Jer McCarthy to preview the upcoming Cork LGFA game against Kerry. And of course, Cork beat Kerry in last year's Munster final. So there will be absolutely no lack of motivation from either side going into this game. Jer, how are you? 
I'm really good, Sarah. How are you coping with the uh, the news that your hero, Sir Lewis Hamilton, is, is joining my favourite team, Ferrari? Correct, yes. The worlds are colliding in a, in a very unexpected way. <laughs> Let's hope it turns out to be positive. But uh, but in the meantime, we obviously have this this huge clash to, to talk about and it has been, I would say, a pretty promising start so far to the season for the Cork ladies. They seem to have a good mix of experience and, and youth in the side. But obviously, any game against the old rivals, Kerry, is going to present a massive challenge. What do you think are Cork's biggest strengths and weaknesses going into this game? Um, I mean, I mean that's a good summation of what they're heading into on Bank Holiday Monday down in Tralee. Um, Cork and Kerry, no matter what form guide you have coming into those matches, you can throw it out the window because <laughs> they know each other so well. They uh, they just love facing off against one another and they bring the best out of each other, I think. Last mm. year's Munster final, as you alluded to there, uh, like it was a high-scoring game, lots of goals. Cork got five goals in the end, but I, I don't expect that tomorrow. But I think in terms of the, the pros and cons, I suppose, of what we've seen from Cork so far this year, very hard to look too hard into the opening game against Galway that Cork won mm. because it was played out amid 80-kilometre winds and in the middle of a storm, and whether it should have been played or not is another question. But they won, and they found a way to win, and they found a way to win without eight regular players uh, that have stepped away from the panel for different reasons for this year's National League. So that was encouraging. And I would also say, even though they lost to Armagh that we covered last weekend in parkering 1-8 to 1-6 to Armagh, Armagh have just won their third consecutive league game and are joint top of the table now with mm. Kerry which just shows you how good a team and a settled team Armagh are so there was disappointments yes and a lot of things the, the kind of Cork turned over the ball far too often I think that's a big concern and it was a big bugbear for Shane Ronan as he spoke to the big red bench afterwards we gave away possession far far too easily didn't convert a lot of the chances that we made in the second half either so there's been plenty to work on heading into this next game so shooting aside and poor shooting aside and I suppose coughing up possession far too easily they're the two things the, the fundamental things that Cork would have to get right if they were to have any chance of getting anything out of Austin Stark Park on Bank Holiday Monday. On the plus side, um, a lot of young players have made their senior intercounty debuts over the past two games, the likes of Katie O'Driscoll, Kate Redmond, um, you know, coming on and, and coming off the bench and looking to make a name for themselves. Not easy to do that at intercounty level in LGFA. It can mm. take a year, sometimes it can take two. So we are seeing a, a lot of new young faces and I suppose on the plus side as well, the defence has been really, really good so far this year. Um, you know, Mara Callan anchoring and centre-back. She's an experienced player. She's a captain. She's got a lot of young players around her and she's playing in front of a full-back line a very young, sorry, different than a young full-back line. Melissa Duggan, Libby Coppinger converted from her full-back position in Camogie into full-back in football. It seems to be working well. And Dara Canary as well in the other corner from the school. And a big plus, I think, Sarah, has been um, the Bride Rovers uh, goalkeeper as well. Mm. Uh, Sarah Murphy, who's done fantastically well in her first two games. So there are positives heading into this game. But, you know, we've had an over-reliance on a couple of players for scores so far for Cork in the opening games. You'd be hoping for a better spread of scores and they're coming up against some serious shooters in the in the Kerry team on Monday. So it's going to be very, very difficult. Cork have to play for the full 60 minutes, otherwise they're going to lose. Yeah, you mentioned they're relying on a couple of players for scoring. I think definitely Katie Quirk has been up there, possibly at the top of that list. Do you think she'll definitely have to put in you know, a very strong performance again for Cork to have a chance or as you said, is it is it better to try and spread that scoring out across more of the team? Oh, they've got to spread the scores. I mean, um, just on Katie, Katie Quirk, she's been around the senior setup now for maybe two, if not three years, I think at this stage, if I'm not mistaken. And the Bright Rovers forward is maturing uh, into a very, very effective intercounty player. She got all 1-6 of Cork scores the la- in the opening game against Galway, which drew mm. plenty of headlines. But the last day as well, she chipped in with four points, which I actually think was more impressive because she was up against a lot tighter marking defence. She was pushed and dragged further out the pitch than she would normally like, but she still found a way you know, to, to to kick four points. She was Cork's top scorer along with Dara Coyley who got 1-1 against Armagh. She is developing into, as I said, a more mature forward and she's helping those around her because the runs that she makes and the knocks that she takes, she takes the ball into contact quite, you know, quite bravely more often than not but that creates space for that full forward line the likes of Lydia McDonough who's new onto the panel Emma Cleary as well Hannah Looney in front of her and certainly around her Cy Volieri from Kinsale who's back on the team after a two year hiatus and Ellie Jack from Warren Abbey these are all very talented footballers but Sarah they've got to start chipping in with more scores mm-hmm. because the days that 
Katie is bottled up like she was against Armagh. You know, it's got to come from somewhere else. As I mentioned, Tara Kiley got 1-1, but she's a wing-back. So, you know, the, the Cork forwards definitely have to chip in. They know that themselves. They have to chip in with, with more scores against Kerry because this Kerry defence is, is, you know, is set up to shut down. They've already shut down Dublin in their opening league game. They went up to Dublin and won. So whatever about their star forwards and their star players, they have got players that can score from numerous players that can score from different positions and that's something I'm sure Shane Ronan and his management team have been working on but from Cork's point of view the standout player for me this year as I said Sarah Murphy's been very very good in goal but Katie Quirk uh, just her maturity just her ability to get scores from difficult positions but also just to lead you know to take the ball mm-hmm. into contact to make room for those around her I've been very impressed with that and we will need that if we're going to break down this Kerry team because they certainly um, are not a team that are that are short uh, as I said really really talented players and it's in their back garden as well so even more of a even more of an incentive for Kerry uh, to do that for sure let's let's chat about Kerry for a minute you kind of alluded to the fact that they have strengths pretty much everywhere on on the pitch is there anywhere that you think the Cork side could potentially expose a weakness there or do you think it just has to be one very strong overall performance a bit of both that's a good question I think it's a bit of both because um you know, playing in patches will do you is okay in the opening couple of rounds of the league. You have to expect that when players haven't, you know, been out in the pitches for too long. But we're into the third round now, so I would imagine Shane running and his management team would be looking for that more complete performance. I guess when you look at Kerry, it's very hard to pick holes in this Kerry team. It really is. I mean, they're the, they got to, they won the National League last year, got to the All Ireland final, only to be beaten by Dublin. This is a team whose window of opportunity of winning an All Ireland, you know, it's still open, but it's mm. not going to be open forever. The fact that they've conceded a couple of goals in each of their games, I would think Cork might go a bit more direct in on that full back line. I'm not trying to suggest that the Kerry full back line is, is in any way a weakness, but when you've got Hannah Looney in there, and when you've got Lydia McDonough and you've got Cy Volieri, you know, knocking around that goal, I think Cork, they've been patiently building up from the back, or not patiently, but swiftly building up from the back as often as they could in their opening two matches. Varying their attack, I think, tomorrow uh, against Kerry might actually do them good in that going long, winning a few breaks, because it worked for Waterford. Waterford were beaten 2-11-2-5 by Kerry in their second game. And Waterford are a very good team, but you know they were able to get a bit of success when they got in and around the Kerry goal mode. So look, that's something to watch for. But when it comes to talent and when it comes to players and when it comes to, you know... All over the pitch. I mean, Niamh Carmody, the, the Kerry captain, is just one of the complete footballers. She's just such an excellent, excellent footballer. Um, she scored four points that last day again against Waterford and chipped in. You know, didn't, did an awful lot of damage in and around the middle of the park, forcing turnovers. And I think she is probably one of the Kerry players that a lot of sometimes gets overlooked. But I think she, for me, um, she's just one of those all-action players that you can rely on. Um, at all times and of course we can't talk about Kerry without talking about last year's footballer of the year without one of my favourite footballers male or female and that's Louise Nemera Hurtig she came off the bench and scored 1-4 against Waterford <laughs> in the last it didn't play didn't play in the opening win over Dublin which I think is significant because it just shows there's a bit of depth to the Kerry squad this year which yeah. is you know I think is important but oh what a player and like she has the ability to turn the game on it like she can be out of the game for 10 minutes usually double marked but when she gets the ball she is just a constant menace Cork know all about her and they'll have to come up with a plan it'd be very interesting to see who picks her up tomorrow possibly Melissa Duggan who's done a, did a good enough job on Amy Mackin for Mad last day possibly Libby Coppinger you know you just don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see how it works but um, this Kerry team are not short uh, match winners as I said they've got a few players that have come through as well from the underage Emer Deneen is a young player that's Played very well against Dublin, played very well against Waterford last night, a name to watch out for there uh, as well. They've got Anna Galvin coming back onto the squad. So down the middle, there is a very there's a very strong spine to this Kerry team. Um Nick Couture as well, another player alike. So look, Cork know exactly what they're going into. They're placing a team that's got maximum points when they're opening two league matches. They're the defending league champions. They're in their back garden. And as you rightly said, Cork beat them in last year's Munster final. So you know Kerry will be reminded of all of this. Not that they need reminding <laughs> before they, they hit the pitch on Bank Holiday Monday. Um, it's going to take a very, very complete Cork performance to get something out of this. Uh, but I'm confident. I've seen enough you know, I've seen enough green shoots in the early in the opening two matches, despite the defeat last week, that Cork are on the right path. Uh, but they will have to put in their best performance of those three games so far if they're going to get anything from this uh, particular encounter. Absolutely, loads to look forward to, as you say, Ger, from that game tomorrow, and uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts on it afterwards. Thanks very much again for joining us.
No matter. Talk to you soon. It is time to chat about something a bit different now because earlier this week I got the chance to have a conversation with Anna-Marie Fegan who was appointed as the first ever female admiral of the Royal Cork Yacht Club in Crosshaven and of course the club is not just well known in Cork but it has global recognition particularly as the world's oldest yacht club which makes Anna-Marie the first female admiral in over 300 years of the club's history and I can tell you from speaking to her that she is clearly very very driven towards creating a more accessible and equal environment down there at the RCYC so let's have a, a listen to the conversation in full now. Anna-Marie, thank you for joining me here on the Big Red Bench. How are you doing? Very good, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, congratulations on your appointment uh, as the first female admiral of the Royal Cork Yacht Club. Tell me what the reaction has been like. It's only been, I suppose, a week or so since since the announcement was actually made. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, um, it's humbling <laughs> that it means so much to people. The amount of people who have just said that it's about it's about clearing pathways for me. It's about clearing pathways for other people to be able to do this. And I'm just at a time in my life where I can do it. Other people who were better than me just didn't have the time or the ability at the time or weren't given the opportunity. So I have two daughters and it's very important to me that we do what we can or make it as easy as possible for others to, to go where we go, you know. So given that opportunity, it's, it's an honour and it's it's it's. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing it for that reason. Completely. Yeah. And not only were you appointed, but there's also a further three women on the executive as well yeah. at this two time more, around. Yeah. Yeah. Two yeah. More with me, which is great. Um, Yvonne Durkin of uh, Durkin uh, Spice Beef fame and <laughs> Mary Creedon, who's uh, very heavily involved in the RNLI, two very capable young women that will um, help drive the objectives of the club forward, you know. Yvonne's two kids are both involved in, in heavily in sailing. Uh, her son Johnny's on an Olympic campaign at the moment and her Harry sails all around the world. So she has huge experience in the dinghy fleet and how that works. And that's kind of our bedrock of our club, you know. Mm, yes, yeah, speaking of, of foundations, where did your own connection with the RCYC begin? Because obviously it's got yeah, such a, a huge history. Well, I ran, I ran a catering company, Excellent Choice, uh, for 25 years and we did all the catering for the big cork weeks. So I, I knew the club. Um, and then when my kids started sailing, uh, it, it's, not, it's, it's not really a sport you can just drop off. It, it's much better for the kids and it's better for longevity if the parents get involved because we have a huge volunteering base mm. and that's required to run our dinghy sailing. So... We got involved and then started going out on ribs and started helping with events. And that's, you just kind of get sucked in. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, the thing about it, and I explained to my girls, I make, made as much friends as they did on the way. Make mm. friends in the club, you make friends when you travel. So while they were traveling with friends, we were making friends. And we had a great group in, in that scene. If, if we wanted to go to an event, we take turns. So every third or fourth event. You had a trailer, you told the trailer, you went. It was a routine. And mm. um, so, and then you met people. And my girls still meet people from when they were to college then. They met people they had met sailing years earlier. Wow. And then they headed to America teaching sailing. And, and their friends are in Australia teaching sailing. So it's, it's a huge skill to be able to have um, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And when the announcement was made, you kind of mentioned that you're really passionate about getting young people out on the water. But... You know, you also acknowledge that it may be prohibitive to some people in terms of the cost of getting going and and keeping it going. As you mentioned, everything involved there. Well, I suppose that's... we have worked terribly hard in the club to make it more accessible for people. Mm. Um, we now have our own club boats. Before you had to buy a boat, so to get down there, you had to pay a membership, buy a boat, and get all the gear, which is mm. a huge investment for people. And kids go out there, they sail for a day, don't like it, and you know, Oppy for sale. So what we've done now is we have club oppies. So you can go down to the club, try it out, do your sailing uh, for up to six weeks. And if the kid likes it, then, you know, you say you pay 100 euros for the six weeks, we take it off your membership. So there's no big mm. cost. You just get the kid down there and get them having fun. And if they're into it, brilliant, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That that seems like a, a very fair way to, to try oh, and... absolutely. And then before, if if people didn't get in at the beginning, if you didn't get in 
at an oppie stage, there was no other pathway in. Whereas mm. now you can get in at 12, 14, 16. We have toppers, we have lasers. And if you're a bit behind what the oppie sailors were, you can upskill, you know? Okay. So, so, and, and on a, on a crew, crewing on a, on a larger keelboat, like there's only one driver, like there's mm. loads of other, there's 10 positions on a boat. So you can still get involved at that stage. Like mm. we have an amazing sailing school in, in Cove by the English. He runs fabulous courses. So there's always an opportunity to learn. And everybody doesn't have to go on a boat. There's one owner. There's <laughs> nine others that he needs to get his boat on the water. And um, the kids sailing, you can go out and, of course, there's a competitive edge, but there's a great fun side to it where you mm. go down, meet your buddies, go for a little sail. Like years ago, kids would go and just pot around the harbour, go for little picnics, you know, mm. for our kids arriving here saying, give us a, bring us down a cup of tea. But fun, yeah. you know, it doesn't all have to be about racing, but yeah. the skills that they learn, once they're out in the water, there's no screens, they have to make decisions for themselves, they're out in the fresh air, they're talking to friends, they're having a bit of fun. That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds dreamy there now as you're as you're describing it. No, you do get rain and wind and howling, freezing cold <laughs> as well. So let's not, let's not be unrealistic about the whole thing. True. Do you kind of know yet what the role is going to look like on a day-to-day basis for you? Yeah, well, you see, there's a huge lead into this area. I, you know, I was involved in, in like your class captain of a group, would say, of boats. So I was... Uh, in top of class captain and then in charge of communications, then rear admiral dinghies, then vice admiral. So this is this is a progression, you know. Mm. So you, you kind of build your way up. So for the last year, there's been a handover. And that's that's key for me. Like longevity is key. Mm. So you have to be able to hand things over. Like if you just take over the whole show, that's no good because mm-hmm. you're going to be gone in two years and then there's a huge vacuum. So being able to replace yourself immediately is key. And mm-hmm. then you, you bring, you encourage and bring you, and it's important to get young people involved and time, Sarah, time is a killer. People do not have time. So mm-hmm. let's do things more efficiently. So we have a huge club, over 1900 members. And a lot of the time we're doing the same things in different areas. So what I'm trying to do is get everybody talking and everybody communicating and say, okay, I'm expertise. You know yourself, you can do something in five minutes that would take me an hour to do. So let's let's hone in on people's strengths, let them do what they're good at and leave them at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then the club is more efficient because people don't have time. People are willing to help, but the time is a killer. And if you take too much time, you lose them, you know? And I say that with my new committee, like manage your time, do what you can do well, and then let's let's um, leave it off, you know. Um, it, it, and that's good for people then, and get mm. more people involved. Like we have one committee now with ten on it that normally has three, but if they all do one little job, then it, it makes life easier for everybody else, you know. For sure, yeah. I mean, it takes a village definitely yeah. with a especially with a club of that size, as you say. Obviously, most people I think would be very aware of Cork Week being a massive event for for the club. It's yeah. obviously an Olympic year as well. What are you kind of most excited about for, for 2024? Oh, both. I thought about Cork Week is our flagship event, you know, and we're mm. our, our um, early bird entry closes on the first. So, and there's a big push to get people in. And we got a boat from, from uh, we have three boats from America and one from, well, I'll think of it in a minute, a very unusual country. A gentleman came to visit this club oh, wow. and... Uh, we told him about the Beaufort Cup, which is an event we run for the services. You know, 50% of the crew have to be from the services, Army, Navy, RNLI. We, a new Argar boat sails under the Crosshaven RNLI. And the, the winner gets 10,000 euros for their chosen chosen charity. And um, it's Uruguay is the country, sorry. Oh, so wow, he yeah. contacted one of our members and said, um, yeah, I, I, I'm into it, I'll come. So we hope to get three American boats and an American general coming with them. We hope Simon Coveney is going to put in a boat. Uh, the PSNI, uh, our own Navy, uh, there'll be Air Corps involved and a few RNI. So it's it's a great it's a, it's a great mix then for the services mm. to be coming with us. And then it adds a bit of panache to the old event, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we hope to get the Cape 31s are coming back, the 1720 Europeans is part of it. And we have uh, SP20s, which is a new boat for three-man crew, 
which like it's, it's a hard gig, Sarah, to get 10 people for a full week. Mm, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of commitment. So this is for people that maybe can't do the the whole hog and, and they, they can we have a leasing or hiring agreement. So it's basically you come down, pick up your boat, sail, give it back and go home. So mm. and this is the thing you have to make things easier for people or more efficient for people back to efficiencies for, for longevity. 100%. Look, Anne-Marie, Anne-Marie, speaking of time, thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us here on the Big Red Bench. No We're wishing you all the very best for your tenure uh, in this really exciting new role at the Royal Yacht Club. Now, let's get you a full-time score from that final Premier League game of the day between Liverpool and Arsenal. And it has finished 3-1 to Arsenal, which is a big, big win for the Gunners. Guy Swindles has the full-time report from the Emirates. Arsenal 3, Liverpool the lead through Saka after they dominated the first half in the 15th minute but somehow Liverpool got level before the break through Gabriel's own goal. Second half was much more even until a diabolical mix-up between Van Dijk and Alisson left Martinelli to roll the ball into an empty net to give Arsenal the lead. Canate was then sent off for a second yellow for Liverpool and when they thought it couldn't get any worse, Trossard with a fine solo effort in time added on made it Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1. Very interesting result there in the race for the Premier League this season. We'll have to see how that pans out. In the meantime, let's take a look at the rugby because there may be lots of Six Nations action this weekend. But if you were present at a sold out Super Valley Parky Cueve like myself last night, you'll know that there was another big game under the lights. Super Rugby champions, the Canterbury Crusaders, took on URC champions Munster. And it was Munster who squeaked out a victory despite a last gasp effort from the Crusaders. Unfortunately, I was in the Black Rock end, which meant that I was in part of the crowd that had to squint very hard and give it their best guess as far as what was happening up the pitch. But an enjoyable evening nonetheless. If you were there and can relate, definitely drop me a message on WhatsApp 0868104106. What we can say for certain is that the final score was Munster 21, Crusaders 19. And Munster boss Graham Rowntree spoke to Rory after the game about the results. It's not all about what he says. I keep saying this to him. It, it's, it can't be about all, all, all. He can't be worried about what he's saying. He leads by his actions, Kenda. I don't mind saying that in front of him. I say it to his face as well. That's really pleased me. He did that tonight. Played really well. He leads by his actions. He's, he's in the middle of everything, and um, you know he sets the standards consistently for us. Well done. Special night here. Any <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts overall on the, the match tonight? I was delighted. It's a hard fought win. Um, we should have been further ahead on the scoreboard particularly at half time would have changed the complexion of the second half I was really pleased with our physicality your man spoke about physicality before the game our rook was good our rook was quick it was going to have to be against these this is a class team we went out last night with their coaches they're staying at Fotra Island that's some place that is it's my first visit there we went out had a few beers with them a few drinks with their coaches and they were talking to us about how they're training and how we were taking this game very seriously <clears throat> and he sh- we saw that today that's a proper game um, we weren't perfect we've got to be more clinical on their try line for example knocking the ball on in a tap penalty move but overall that was a hard fought win should have been further ahead on the scoreboard but very pleased with the lads some young men and some lads coming back from injury had some big performances tonight as an occasion as well sold out Parky Cueve over 40,000 people there it's an incredible incredible moment unbeaten in Parky Cueve <laughs> unbeaten and that was special you could feel it probably could have done with getting them on the feet a bit more of the crowd and we tried to um, the game became a bit stagnant in the third quarter you know because that kind of shows you what a proper game it was um, no take that I thought at the end there we were going to come out of there with a draw but we, we stuck in there some good kick pressure at the end of the game there when they're going for the conversion I suppose the next step now is a competitive game here for you guys would you like to see that happen oh, what's Sorry? a competitive game that was competitive that game <laughs> Like, like a European game, European yeah, game m- maybe against Leinster. Maybe here, I, I can't, I can't see it's not coming here every year. Um, I think we will be coming here. It's a special. It just feels different, doesn't it? The, the environment, the town. I think we'll stay at Photo Island next time. I quite like that place. I was really taken by that. Um, have you been there? Sounds good. Yeah. Dear me. <laughs> um, 
That's where the Crusaders stayed. That's, we, we paid for them to stay there. We're a travel lodge in, in the middle of town. Um, no, it's just, it's a special place to come, and both games have been big occasions for us. To what extent did you guys exchange notes, and what kind of what kind of things are you comparing when you're sitting there having a drink with your opposition? Uh, all sorts. I mean, they are known uh, gold standard for culture, their environment, how they're driving them. We just comparing notes about training. It was quite comforting that we're not far off in what we're doing. Um, I think we saw that tonight. Um, but no, they were very open. Rob, I mean, Rob's got history with the club. It was good meeting him. And they've got some outstanding staff. And there's a legacy there from uh, from Tony Blackhead, from Wayne Smith, from Scott Robertson, in terms of how they do things. But no, they were very open. We exchanged a lot of ideas, but I was, I was really pleased. I had all my coaches there, how open the whole conversation was. You know how feasible it would be, but just off the top of my head, what about going back down their direction someday for your pre-season? Would you ever consider it? Yeah, we'll take a Stenner Ferry. <laughs> Come back three years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're open. We certainly want to keep a, an open dialogue with them, so to speak, uh, keep a connection with them. Uh, they're just very impressive in everything, in every way that they do things as an organisation. I'm still laughing at Graham Rowntree obsessing over Photo Island from that clip. Very impressed, so he was. <laughs> anyway, we are sticking with rugby now. And if you were listening a couple of weeks ago when the country was being battered by Storm Isha, then you might remember that the station Wi-Fi was knocked out midway through the Big Red Breadbench broadcast, which was great fun for me altogether. We had been due to air an interview with Andrew Conway that evening, which had happened as part of the official launch of the newly renamed Virgin Media Park. I've got that here for you now as part of this evening's show instead. So let's hope that we don't have any technical mishaps this time. Right, delighted to be here with Andrew Conway at the launch of Virgin Media Park, a place that you have uh, plenty of memories from, I'm guessing from your days as a player. Yeah, some really fond memories. Obviously, we're just pitch side now and brings me back to some big battles against Glasgow, some great games, you know, during Six Nations windows. And I think, you know, it's usually around four games a year here. And they're usually Friday nights. They're usually... Um, In the depths of winter and freezing cold. Yeah, well, mainly. But... Um, yeah, like I, I absolutely love it here. You know, it's nice and intimate. Eight thousand odd people, always full to the rafters. Usually on a Friday night, so the atmosphere is good. Players are delighted because we've got Saturday and Sunday off to recover. And uh, yeah, great memories. And we picked a lovely day to come down for the for the launch. Yeah. And Cork people just love the rugby, and that's apparent whenever you're playing here, I guess. Hundred percent. And you know, it's it's we, you know, Munster is probably an outlier in that. There's you know two places that Munster could operate really, um, and obviously we're, we're in Limerick or you know Munster in Limerick, and um, it's great that you know there's still that exposure to the to the core crowd. Obviously, a lot of them would travel up anyway, but you know playing four games a year, I think, is reflective of how much you know the core you know supporters mean to us. And um, it's not just a, a, an odd game; it's you know there's some, some meaningful games here as well that um, that give the the crowd what they want and you know give us a, give us a little change, which is nice as well. So we I, I think it's a it's a unique situation. You know, as as players, but it's 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 brilliant. Is there any particular game or moment that stands out to you when you think back to your games here? Here, yeah, Glasgow by 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 a stretch, yeah. So it was the year that they were in our European Cup group, and we it was the year that Axel passed. So we played that famous game in home, and and then we had three games against them in I'd say about six seven weeks. Yeah. You know, around Christmas time and into into January February and there was no love loss I tell you and that was the start of a real spikiness yeah. between between us and we, we beat them all four times all four were really tough matches but we beat them all four times and you know here it was a lot of chat there was a lot of little afters yeah. um, and I just I think I broke my nose in like the last play as well which was fitting for the the, yeah. the environment that we'd just been exposed to and uh, yeah like but there's honestly loads I'd say I've, I've probably played here 20 so I've played here 20 times 25 times you know um, so I, I, I love it um, and uh, yeah it'd be something like you know whenever the lads are coming down playing against those the Glasgow's of the world I'll definitely miss it For yourself how has the transition been from I suppose player to spectator? Yeah it's good I'm early days you know I'm two and a half months or so retired and Christmas was you know part of that which was you know, a lovely time to switch off we did, I did a bit of travelling before that I had to go to Dubai to do something for World Rugby I went to New York with my wife which was nice I enjoyed Christmas and kind of there's been a big big reset now in January um, meeting people who I kind of was um, 
looking for a bit of space I suppose whenever I was contacted after I retired and kind of meeting meeting the guy uh, now after this uh, so kind of keeping myself busy with meeting people doing a lot of work at home with a career advisor who's helped me and challenging me into you know what I really want to do next so a lot of reading a lot of writing a lot of reflecting and thinking and you know giving, giving myself enough space to you know make good decisions as opposed to rush decisions because I feel the need to have a, a title quickly whenever I'm you know people are asking me what's next it's uh, it's easy enough for me at the moment to be like I'm, I'm taking my time you know but nice to be able to say that as well yeah exactly and I think that that's because I've gotten great advice from Paul O'Connell from Jerry Flannery particularly both of them were said take your time you know don't put any you know time constraints on yourself you, you want to get into something that you, ultimately I can be world class at whatever that looks like you know to be determined but that's not going to happen overnight um, and it's not it doesn't have to happen immediately either it's you know taking things slow taking opportunities as they come if they feel right and then just seeing and pivoting and what it would I'm sure it'll all work out um, pretty well as long as I'm kind of um, working hard and you know being true to myself it must have been nice to enjoy your Christmas dinner without worrying about playing Leinster the next day <laughs> yeah I've had a few I was injured last year so it's not my first and then after the 2019 World Cup we all had Christmas off so I've had that a few times but it was only up until last year that I you know I'd always have to leave Christmas dinner in Dublin with, with my family and my godmother in my godmother's house I'd always leave there at 7 o'clock at night to get down the road to Limerick with my wife to then play on Stevens Day and you know the card of Stevens Day against Leinster is brilliant it was only not last year sorry after 2019 where I was like in the depths of a drinking session at like 1 o'clock in the morning that I kind of really realised you know, how big a sacrifice that Christmas slot is because when you know no differently you know no differently you know um, so being able to you know enjoy going going out and meeting friends and not you know being the driver you know going home you know ridiculously early I still it will still take me a while to to not go home early it's just like built into me now and I've got the, the little excuse of a, a little girl at home to, to get up with in oh, the morning so you get your slot you start having a few pints at 5 10 o'clock yeah I gotta go home, you know. So you get the best of both worlds, um, but yeah, there's loads of new kind of experiences that I, I was playing since I was 18, you know. So I've I've not had a adult life without being a professional rugby player. So um, it's exciting, and you know, it's it's. I'm sure there's the pros and cons to it, but you know, I'm excited and kind of looking forward to you know seeing seeing what comes next. And how was your knee? Does a body day today? Or is it kind of all clear up nowhere? Yeah, it blew up there about two weeks ago out of nowhere. Um, so I'm going to get physio sessions now, trying to you know get the swelling down and. You know, it was really painful just throbbing yeah. um, it had been okay to then you know I'm not going out and doing anything that's putting it under pressure it, it, to stay relatively fit I go down I do a bit of upper body weights and I actually go swimming so I was a swimmer whenever I was younger you know low level but uh, I've an, a decent enough base for it and it's completely different to obviously going out for a run to being in the gym no pressure on the joints and it's your, it's just you and you and your head and, and, and the pool you know so um, I've kind of steered away from doing anything to really challenge it but um, I need to be careful of it yeah because I, I, I just you know unfortunately I can't sign up for any five side soccer at the moment or go out for a run or anything but that's alright you know it'll give it time to recover The reaction you and Keith Earls got in Thoman Park when you were introduced to the crowd was exception it was just electric an incredible moment I'd imagine yeah it's funny like you almost don't realise you know it's hard. I've not actually seen any kind of footage back other than a, an Instagram video but when you're out there it's I suppose it's really different to when you're in the crowd you know you, you almost like you're kind of looking around you're taking it all in but uh it was cl- it was really cool to do it with Keith. You know, it was um, it would have been strange to do it. You know, him by himself, me by myself, whatever. But it was it's cool. You know, it's 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 one of those things you'll miss that the roar in home and the roar down here. Whatever you're you're in a in a tough match or you're coming out. I always love that little slot just before kickoff. You come out you come out of the change room. They're already out there because the away team will come out there and like it's like a little it's almost no no more than a minute of like you know it's about to start all the anxiety of the day is gone and it's about to go but you're not there yet you know that that was my little favourite slot and it was the same you know playing for Ireland that was you know within that you'd sing the national anthem and you know you'd you'd enjoy the other team's national anthem and you'd be just in your own head so um, those little bits and pieces are are the ones you'll miss I think um, but that's just life and you know to, to get those little bits and pieces it takes a whole lot of work and unfortunately I'm just not able to do that anymore Where the boys last week what an incredible win against Toulon yeah they were class they were class um, chatting to Craig yesterday Craig Casey and he was saying that they felt it was coming they felt that they'd been training really well but for whatever reason 
injuries, you know, big injuries were happening on the pitch. And that, that it's hard not to, you know, take that on board when as your player you see one of your guys being knocked out and, you know, being unconscious for a number of minutes, another guy getting stretched off in, you know, short space time, that's unsettling to say the least. You know, they're human beings at the end of the day. And uh, last week kind of seemed everything just came together. They had a good start, which was key. Um, got stuck in early, even though they conceded a try early. They got points back pretty quickly, and uh, and then they did a good start to the second half. Which you know, when you're going away to France, you don't want to give any uh, any sniffs of you know any or you're, you're always going to concede a try or two. But you know, constantly being there, just being you know persistent is the key. And they some big moments, big players, big big uh, big tries. You know. And, that, and that's what you need to, to win away in France you need Calvin to do what he did you need Noscanel to perform as he did after off the back and not playing for however long and if you get enough of those guys doing that you have a real chance of winning Speaking of great performances against Toulon I saw on your Instagram you posted that incredible try again a few days ago I know Jesus it wouldn't be like me to be posting stuff like that but I'm in a new I'm in a new world now so I've been told I need to put myself out there a bit more uh, yeah it's cool you know it's funny yeah it was, it was it was a great moment and it's by far and away the the most mentioned or the most talked about thing to me whenever people you know stop me or we're in conversation it always goes back to that um and it was great because you know it was actually off the back of a really disappointing Six Nations I had a knee injury in the other knee and I missed the whole thing I knew I was meant to be involved against France whenever Johnny got the drop goal I had to drop out late in the week and then the knee injury just persisted through the, the campaign so it was my first game back in a, in a long time and it was off, off the back of a really disappointing um, period I missed out in a Grand Slam you know it was funny, I, I do a lot of journaling and I, I went back a while ago and had a look at that little block of time whenever I was missing and the language that I was using with myself and the the, the gratitude I had for all the different parts in, in my life outside of the disappointment of the rugby really stood out and I, I, I'd be a firm believer in, you know, I was doing the work, I was trying to get back, I was keeping a positive mindset and then the first opportunity I got, you know, probably something that defined my career happened and it just it, it's just really interesting when you actually delve deep into the psychology of it all, uh, you know it doesn't guarantee anything but it's yeah, it's uh, it's something that is uh, intriguing when you look back and you think, hey, you know, why did that happen then? Why did this, you know, because there, there's little clues everywhere it's probably no surprise that Munster's performance last week coincided with Peter Mahoney's return no surprise to him named Ireland captain this week what is it that makes him such a good leader oh, he's been there and done it he's natural leader um, he's captain all the way through school it's his personality it's his presence it's his aggression it's his you know you know feeling better because he's standing next year which is which is a not everyone has that very few people have that um and Pete's gone through you know ups and downs in, in his career, particularly in his Ireland career over the last four year cycle. Things weren't looking like you know he was kind of, maybe you know maybe he was you know he ran his race, and he dug in like you wouldn't believe, and you know clawed his way back, which is really tough to do in your early to you know not mid thirties, but you know thirty one, thirty two, thirty three with seventy caps already behind you. The mental toughness to and belief in yourself to, to do that spoke volumes of him and he backed it up with performance and you know I didn't know who they're going to make captain I think there's a there's a few great options and there's a few great guys who will you know help Pete in that in, in that leadership group Caelan Doris James Ryan etc uh, Tyke Byrne even um, and yeah it's just it's exciting time for him his family it's an honour like you want there's no bigger honour in as an Irish rugby player to be actually given the captaincy properly um, and I'm delighted for him because he, he, he deserves it he absolutely deserves it and for Johnny as well stepping away what's there to be said that hasn't been said about him already oh, I know yeah Jesus so fortunate I feel to have you know seen a fellow like him in action you know, like behind the scenes how he thought what he did every day um, the standard he dragged himself to become as a, as a as a player he was nominated for world player of the year at 38 you know and he'd already won it a few years earlier um a real like you know there's only a handful of guys I suppose over your career like Brian O'Driscoll I remember when I was named to play with him for the first time when I was 18 I was like oh my god <laughs> playing with Johnny was the same playing with Paulie was the same you know it was they're, they're unique unique characters in in Irish sport that you know did it for so long as well that's the key if you uh, the guys who can do it until they're you know until they've gotten no more to give that that takes a different level of you know 
mental uh, toughness and he it was I, I'm very grateful that I that I got to experience playing with Johnny and learning from him 100% Andy Farrell being named the Lions coach uh, fantastic honour for him but very well deserved as well oh he is a no brainer wasn't it yeah. it was always going to it was always going to be the way I think he's the out and out outstanding coach in the world you know with you know the likes of Rassie and Jack um, I'm sure I'm forgetting one, someone but uh, he's he's phenomenal he's honestly phenomenal and I knew again you can tell quickly whenever you're surrounded by someone who's great and he went like I knew how good a defence coach he was from working with them and then when I whenever he was, took over you know we it was just before Covid so we had a, three games you know yeah. the performances weren't that good Um but they weren't bad either and he was getting a hard time as a coach we were getting a hard time as a team and then COVID hit so everything stopped but I knew he was going to be world class because you know what, what, how you see him behind the scenes how he talks to you how he sees the game the way he selected was you know brave and consistent you know he, he had so many strings to his bow and his, his presence is you know a different level that kind of northern English <laughs> rugby league tough big big like as big as any of the, the lads playing you know and he's a brilliant wit about him he makes he, he takes the pressure out of situations with uh, with with his um, sense of humour at times which is really important Graham Rowntree does the same uh, that same kind of style so uh, I'm delighted for him he's a phenomenal coach and I think you know I, I, whatever he goes on to achieve with Ireland and the Lions and, and everything I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be amazing to watch and it looks like Joe Schmidt is going to be named the Australia coach in the next few days which will add a bit of spice to that Lions tour as well yeah, I guess yeah I heard that yeah so they got the Lions tour and then obviously they're hosting the World Cup aren't yeah. they in 2027 so Joe's a great 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 coach you know I learned so much from him how the standards that you accept of yourself how to you know drive on and believe in yourself and the detail around like those small little details compounded how they make great players great players and um, I think someone like Joe going into Australia that are in a bad spot is is a very astute um, signing for them I think he's he's he won't mess around <laughs> he'll sort things out as best as possibly uh, as best as possible uh, but it's great to have those guys and from a selfish perspective Watching South Africa, I know the boys who you know who yeah. coach them. Watching Australia, I know Joe. Watching England, I know Felix. Um, obviously uh, Ireland uh, with the lads, but it, it's really exciting because it just shows our Irish rugby brings in top class coaches. You know, it absolutely does. The new Sephora um, and the provinces attracting good coaches. It's a great place. It's a great place to play rugby here. Andrew, it's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Thanks very much. Enjoy. Cheers. That's everything I've got time for this evening, folks. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. It has been Sarah McKenzie Foley with you for your Sunday edition of The Big Red Bench. Obviously, I have to mention there was a massive announcement you're alluded to it during our LGFA preview earlier in Formula One this week with Sir Lewis Hamilton moving from Mercedes to Ferrari for the 2025 season. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to chat about it on the show this evening, but if you want to check out my reaction to that news, you can find that on my YouTube channel, just search Sarah McKenzie F1. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the rest of your bank holiday and stay tuned for Green on Red with Mags Blackburn up next.